health on Monday. This is the story. African genomics surveillance was key in identifying COVID variants. Of course, it came back to haunt us late last year, especially with Omicron, when the world just shut their doors on South Africa. You would have thought we would be rewarded for participating as a responsible player in the world health in relation to advancing science. It wasn't to be. Of course, we fought our way out of that in a diplomatic sense. But what doesn't change is that the nation's ability scientifically to sort of track and trace this COVID variant and the many variants it has under it is something to be applauded. Professor Tulio de Oliveira is on the line to talk to us about that. He's the director for the Center of Epidemic Research, uh, Epidemic Response and Innovation, rather, at KwaZulu-Natal Research Innovation and Sequencing Platform. Prof, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Uh, Good evening, and good evening to all your listeners, and it's great to be with you. It's great to have you, South Africa and the continent at large. What do you make so far of its advances and contributions to the world health order in relation to the surveillance that it has kept in the movements and the evolutions of the many variants of the SARS-CoV-2? Okay, so thank you. So, so one thing that we we help to show the world, yeah, is that this kind of science in South Africa and Africa is very developed, probably the most developed one in the world, yeah. And the reason for that is because we had very large investment from our own own government, that the Department of Science Innovation, and the South African Medical Research Council. But the main reason is that in Africa we have been very used to deal with epidemics uh, for for many decades. So one thing that we show is that we we managed to put a very large consortium, we are talking 400 scientists from 300 African organizations in over African countries to work together to do genomic surveillance of not only of SARS-CoV-2 but now of all our other epidemics, HIV, TB, and malaria. And then what we show the world is that we could be some of the best uh, continents to quickly detect variants, yeah, and also use this information to drive the public health response. For those who want access to this report, just give this, please, the official name and title of it, because, I mean, this last week, 15 September, it featured in a very respected global journal, open, close quote, called Science. Now, for those who are interested to engage this, because we obviously won't have enough time, just quickly, what is the name of the report? Okay, so 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 this report is one of many, to be honest. We, we got over 25 reports in the top scientific magazines or journals in the world, that's, that, that's not normal. Normally, we would be happy in South Africa and Africa if we had five of those, yeah. And, 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 and the title of this report is The Expansion of Genomic Surveillance in Africa to Track Variants in Real Time. And the very ironic part of that report is that was published in the top scientific journal, really, really highlighting that the science is top-notch. But it showed that in spite of South Africa and Africa detecting two of the the five main variants of coronavirus, the great majority of variants, these four or five at least, 
were not originated from Africa, but they were introduced in Africa by 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 Europe, by North America. So the same country that punished us for their very good science, in the end, that's where the source of all the introductions of COVID in the continent. Let's talk about now the variants. Let's talk about the fact that this time last year, we were having left, I think it was the Delta variant, and we were literally a month and a bit away, if that, from what became Omicron. What can you tell us has been the work of vaccines in relation to where we are now as opposed to this time last year? Okay, so so, so first, uh, yeah, that, that's a great question. The, the first thing is that the vaccines, uh, they were very, very, very effective. Yeah. So, for example, even South Africa with around like 50% of the population above 45 years old vaccinated, yeah. What we saw is that the last two waves, the Omicron and the lineage of Omicron, BA4 and BA5, caused very little hospitalization and death, just showing that the vaccines did really hold well against that virus, yeah. And by the way, that, that that's the kind of perfect time for people, especially with advanced age and comorbidities, to get a booster before we come to the end of the year, because what we are expecting is more introductions from the northern uh, hemisphere as they get into the winter. And this time we went to pass uh, a Christmas and New Year with really no disturbance. Yeah. So the vaccines were very effective. Another thing that we also found in South Africa is that the population immune from both vaccination, more important, but also previous infections, uh, it's really keeping what we would expect to be the sixth wave at bay. Yeah? So at the moment, when one of my, my good friends and colleagues, Dr. Tedros, the Director General of the World Health Organization, five days ago came to highlight that we think that the pandemic, the worst had passed, yeah. And at the moment, we just have to make sure that we keep the, the, the science going. So if we identify a new variant, which we think that's very unlikely because the population unit, yeah, that we can act quick on that to avoid uh, another big wave of infection. You are saying the worst of the pandemic is over. That I don't understand it to mean we should in any way drop our guard or somehow or one way or the other let up on the good progress that has gotten us thus far to be able to in a way say whatever we might have thought COVID would be in March 2020. I think many South Africans will say they would have taken where we are now if they were asked that question back in 2020. Ultimately, what I am saying is these good progresses and strides we have made, how then do we ensure we hold on to this necessary momentum, keep the science coming through, and the necessary behavioral changes which are to stay with us? I'm asking this question precisely on the basis that I'm just looking at the world statistics and where South Africa features just over 32% of the population has been vaccinated. I would have thought that maybe the target for the national government would have been higher than that. Be that as it is, we still are in the position that we is, we are. And relative to other countries, I think we are largely favored by the statistics. Where to from here, albeit on the better side of COVID? 
Okay, so 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 first, the the very important statistic is not just the just the vaccination at the whole population, but is the vaccination at the population that are likely to get sick and and, and develop disease. And despite everything, South Africa is quite well there. We have close to like 66% of our population, over 50, that have been vaccinated. Yeah. So if you want to keep this virus at bay, we would we would then engage in the what is current the booster program. At the moment, we have more than enough vaccines available to the population. And, and especially people that with advanced age comorbidity is a very smart idea to get vaccinated now before the end of the year so one or, or get boosted so one can really enjoy the, the, the festive season in, in peace. Yeah. Other thing is that unfortunately the, this pandemic has been very severe in South Africa. We had over 300,000 deaths. So as we pass to the next phase of the pandemic with more deadly infections and hospitalization, we should not forget how drastic this pandemic has been to our country and how many loved ones we have lost. So what we have to do is keeping advanced the science, but where possible, keeping uh, vaccinating and boosting the, the people with advanced age and comorbidities. So we, we really hope that we will never see again this kind of deadly waves as we see in the beta, in the delta, and in the beginning of the Omicron. Now that we are where we are, there are still those who are dead set against vaccinating, much less taking a booster shot. And I think that's a fair, I mean, it's fair comment on the part of those who, for whatever reason, don't trust. What can you say one way or the other to engage those minds who feel that way? I think that, that the best way to engage that, that, that mind is just to try to remember about all the loved ones that we lost during that pandemic and just to try to don't make that to repeat again. Yeah, Again, my, my plea is not to everyone to get vaccinated, but more people that are likely to have comorbidities like diabetes or obesity or advanced age. Yeah. Because what South Africa needs the most now, as we go into the end of the year, it is the first summer without disturbance. As you are very aware, yeah. we have big problem in still trying to recover in our economy. We have problem with electricity. We have a million problems in South Africa. And what we need the least is another wave of viruses of COVID that cause hospitalization and deaths. What have we learned from our public health care system, public health care infrastructure, its durability, its dexterity, and the arrangement as well as distribution of critical medical supplies, be it equipment or drugs, that because of COVID, the myth has been blown out of the water, or we now know with certainty and should henceforth be fundamental in the engagement of the public health care system. What, from your insights and research, can you share with us that hopefully policymakers, as well as those who preside over provincial and local um, health care spaces, should adopt going forward? Okay, so, so, so the first thing that we learn is that our nurses and doctors, they, they were heroes, yeah. 
you don't believe how much pain and suffering and difficult situation they got during that pandemic. Yeah? Especially because South Africa already had a very overstretched health system because we haven't been battled by by the two terrible epidemics of HIV and TB in the last two decades. Yeah. So so despite everything we could we could manage through and for that we needed some time for example, one thing that was very effective, yeah, well, not very popular, but was very effective, was when we, we cut alcohol when a big wave came because that could release some pressure into the hospital. So the first thing for the public is to really realize that our healthcare system, nurses and doctors, they were completely distracted. Many of them are overburned. Many of them have even given up to about about medicine just because the situation that we had in our hospitals yeah and that the best thing that we can do is not only with covid within the case of vaccination but with hiv and tb is to make sure that we keep our treatment program running well that people get and the providers that get mtb medicine to try to release a little bit of the pressure in our hospitals yeah Another thing that we learned that despite our lots of problems in South Africa is that we had a healthcare system and a health department that listened to the scientists. And that was crucial to, to, to respond to the, to the pandemic. But now what we have to do is to reconstruct the healthcare system and make sure that we do not forget about all our other diseases such as hypertension, diabetes, and our two current epidemics that's still running quite strong, HIV and TB. Here's a question from one of our listeners, and I think it's a very important question, particularly as we continue to engage the strengths of our own internal systems and approaches to healthcare. Mohali Libona from Kwatkwa asks this question. Has the gentleman or the institution he is from been able to investigate and or research to what extent African herbs, medicine, or pharmaceutical systems would be in a position to contribute towards the fight against COVID? Do they have a place in this fight against COVID? That's a great question, Wahali, please. Well done. Tulio, your response? Yes, yes, thank you. That, 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 that's a great question. Yeah. And we had many trials, both in South Africa and abroad, of many uh, different active compounds, what we normally call uh, recycling uh, medicines. Yeah. So far, we only got like two different ones that, that, that show a strong effect into COVID, and that's dexamethadone and, and, and lantipodine. Yeah. So that's drugs that, that are normally esteroids to cause infection. And unfortunately, all the other trials that, that, that try to deal with with both uh, natural compounds or with, for example, hydrochloroquine or either maxim or all kinds of other um, treatment, they haven't not shown a positive effect or any signal. Yeah. But one thing that, 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 that seemed to, to have worked very well was, was, was the vaccine that was licensed. So I think that's very important for South Africa to keep a, a good clinical trial network. South Africa is one of the best, most developed countries in the world on, on clinical trials. 
and, and, and to test properly both natural remedies but also other remedies. But, but so far, we haven't found anyone that show a highly effective protection against hospitalization and death of COVID. South Africa's capacity to manufacture its own vaccines, 20 years ago or so, or is it 10 years ago, I'm not so sure, we were supposed to have had a fully established and functional Gitlapila just outside Pretoria vaccine site for precisely things like COVID. Biovac, I don't know how far we are in relation to that. Now we've had an essay-born billionaire making the necessary investments, Patrick Sun-Siong. Insofar as it relates to the country and presumably by extension the continent, having the necessary drug capability to engage our own healthcare needs, one, and two, to really become a global player in the pharmaceutical space. We know how politicized vaccines became with vaccine IP being protected under the TRIPS agreement at the WTO, trade-related aspects of international trade law. I mean, trade-related aspects of international intellectual property. That's what TRIPS means. Don't ask me how it gets there. But the fact that TRIPS was used as the basis to defend pharmaceuticals protecting their 20-odd-year IP protection on vaccines in spite of the damage that was happening around that, surely that should have been a serious wake-up call, not that there haven't been reasons for one before that, for domestic capability so that we don't have to now engage diplomatic concessions as we were trying to get concessions out of those IP waivers at TRIPS level. What are we doing in relation to that? Are we making the necessary inroads? Yeah, thank you. That, 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 that's a great question. So, so normally the, the production of what you call therapeutics and, and vaccines, that normally has to follow the, the development of very strong basic science. Yeah? So that's what's happened everywhere in the world and happened, for example, in the United States, Europe, and, and even in India. So one thing that we could do during this pandemic is to raise the level of South African science. And now we are recognized as one of the powerhouse of, of science in infectious disease. And that followed massive investment, not only in BioVac, but also with Patrick Sonchong opening, opening um, a production, but also in another company called Afrigen with a big investment and selection by the World Health Organization as South Africa, the leading consortium that won, and what a very competitive application. They had over 25 countries bidding for that, and one of the reasons why South Africa could win that competition, that international competition, was, was the level of the basic science and the level of, of, of labs that we have in the country. So I think that we really moved to the next step, and that now we can start thinking more about production of vaccine and therapeutics. And even more important, the COVID, it will be to produce vaccine and therapeutics that, that the Northern Hemisphere or, or what people call the West is not interested. This is, for example, for neglected infections that, that may not generate the income that they need. So, and that's why South Africa is beginning to develop quite well. One of our biggest necessity now is trying to develop better therapeutics and vaccines for, 
for tuberculosis, for TB, still a disease of the poor that very little investment has done. We have some very great development also in Cape Town at the University of Cape Town on, on, on new um, uh, malaria therapeutics. And I think that now is going to be a very large investment on South Africa, try to become self-sustainable on the development of therapeutics and vaccine. Of course, that, that, that this will take some years or maybe even a decade or two. That's what took India to get to that position. But in, in general, I think that we are in the right path. And what we have to do is to keep investing in science, basic science, and as well as we keep investing on development of therapeutics and vaccines. The time is 21.32. We have a conversation with Professor Tulio de Oliveira. Tulio de Oliveira is the director of the Center for Epidemic Research and Innovation at the KwaZulu-Natal Research Innovation and Sequencing Platform. He's also a professor of bioinformatics at the School for Data Science and Computational Thinking at Stellenbosch University and at the College of Health Sciences in UKZN. We're talking about the contribution South Africa and the continent at large has made in relation to the fight against COVID-19 and more importantly, the scientific advances in that regard. Let's talk about NANT-SA, the vaccine or rather not the vaccine site, rather the pharmaceutical site. In working with your Biovax and your Gitlapila and developing healthcare professionals and capacity in South Africa that can be exported into the region and onto the continent. I mean, you were working with some 300 authors from the continent. What is the promise of this capacity for the continent? So, so, so was was a very big investment done in South Africa. So, for example, last month uh, the 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 Chon Sung Shiong Foundation, that is the the philanthropic arm of, of Patrick Sung Shiong uh, program of NANTSA, they having they have donated a hundred million rand to the South African Medical Research Council we start a program that they call developing the basic skills on what we call GLP, that's good laboratory practice. So what they're going to be doing is in the next three or five years, yeah, to fund a lot of young scientists in South Africa to get trained into good laboratory uh, skills, yeah. So that's kind of skills that we try to move from academic environment to an industrial pharmaceutical company uh, level. So, for example, we estimate that in South Africa we would need a workforce between three and 5,000 people well-trained into, into production of, 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 of vaccines and therapeutics. And at the moment, we only have a few hundred. So we need investment in these basic skills, which, which the South African Medical Research Council with the 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 strong young foundations doing and then we also need further development what you call of industrial parks so for example last um, and, uh, three weeks ago i learned that roshi one of the biggest uh, international companies they are tripling the number of the workforce here in, in, in close to cape town to try to produce some of the reagents locally 
So in general, South Africa is going in, in the right path, but we still need to invest a lot on the basic skills and, and, and qualification of people to be able to produce that kind of, of act, active compound and vaccines at industrial scale. So it's going to be a big program. It's going to need large investment. And so far, we are quite fortunate to have both investment from our government, but also from international donors in that in that area. Let's leave it there. This is fantastic work that you guys are doing. Many congratulations and certainly keep us informed if there are other such international accolades that we can use the platform to celebrate. My guest this evening was Professor Tulio de Oliveira, who is the Director for the Center of Epidemic Response and Innovation at the KZN Research Innovation and Sequencing Platform. He's also an academic at Stellenbosch, as well as in the College of Health Sciences at UKZN.